0: We invited Dr. Merritt to come on, and we've had some technical issues. They are all my fault, and I take full responsibility, and I am supremely sorry, because here you are with a green screen behind you, and hopefully in post-production we can make it not look like a green screen, but but it is my honor and my pleasure to introduce Dr. Lee Merritt. Many of you have probably heard of her before. I was introduced to her uh, back at the beginning of all of this when she began talking about um, antibody-dependent enhancement, and I listened to that at lunchtime seeing patients. And my face melted off as we were, as I was listening to what she said and everything she said made sense. And then I looked all of the things that she set up and even more made sense and everything she said was accurate. But today I'd like for her to come on and speak to us about biowarfare weapons, as this is part of the series that we're doing. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Merritt.
1: Well, thank you. And thanks for all you do. Unbelievable that there are only so few of you guys kind of honoring your oaths, but I appreciate what you're doing.
0: And and to that that end also, if there's any physician out there that's, let's say, received the vaccine, but does not like the way the country is going, now is the time to, to step out of the shadows, right? Because yep. it's not whether you got it or you didn't get it. It's about, do you want to be forced to take this? Do you want to be forced to take the next one and the next one and the next one and whatever the, the next ones are? and your kids.
1: But well, where's it? The... they're coming, you yes. know, notice what they did this week. They now can inject babies. Not one That's FDA regulator has stood up for the children, not one. Not one when level no of government
0: has stood up for our children, not one. So where would you like to start on this discussion of biowarfare weapons?
1: Well, um, well, I guess you know and just I guess to say a little bit about background, I the reason I even uh, I've been I've been interested in bio warfare issues for a long time. I spent ten years in the Navy myself, and then when I was out, I sat on the Navy Research Advisory Committee. It's a subcommittee of the Congress that looks at technology, future technology for the for the Navy, and I, you know, it kind of got my my uh, introduction into sitting on, this was Dr. Deutsch, I think, was at the head, the head of the committee at that time. And so you got the CIA, you got the, the big Navy brass, Marine Corps generals, you know, everybody sitting on this panel, you know, the, the CEOs of L'Oreal and Hughes Corporation at the time, all these kind of different things. And uh, so I kind of got exposed to that. And then I met people that knew people. And so I had some contacts. And when this whole thing broke out, I asked one of my contacts, I said, Hey, you know what I've been, wa- you know, you told me not to look at SARS and MERS, but should I look at this one? And he said, yeah, you should look at this one. So early on, like mid December, when most people were still just getting ready for Christmas, I was glued to my computer because I was, I'm semi, I was at the time I'm semi-retired orthopedic spine surgeon. So I was just working two days a week. And I discovered, um, you know and, I, and at first this looked really really scary what was going on but as i followed this over time and i started looking like in january when they first, when this thing first think about this they started talking about a vaccine before we had even really uh gotten hit with this thing. I mean, it it makes you realize the the setup here. But they, they started early on talking about coronavirus and vaccines. And that's when I started looking up the issue of how did they look at this before? Coronavirus has theoretically been with us a long time. How did they look at it? What were the vaccines like? That's how I stumbled on all this stuff. Um, There was a lot out there on the on the internet before they've 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 really scrubbed the internet So it's hard to find some of the stuff now, and I didn't think I was doing a forensic Study at the time so some of it's gotten lost but but I was I was kind of impressed with the fact that they just weren't telling us what we knew and then in February it was really the last day of July. It was January 31st and February 1st that this happened A paper came out by Prashant Pradhan et al. in Delhi, India. And these guys are, he's a, uh, he like former, I think, former current chief of uh, IBM genetics department. Interesting that IBM has a genetics department, but anyway, he was the chief geneticist for IBM in Europe. And um, this paper showed that unlike any other native naturally occurring so-called coronavirus, and we can now argue whether viruses exist the way we were taught. In, 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 they looked at all the stuff that was being uploaded in the gene bank from the researchers in China. And what they found was that although the so-called virus varied all over the place, there was this spike protein S1 subunit. And in that were four inserts that were not natural. They didn't occur in nature anywhere. They didn't occur in SARS. They didn't occur in MERS. And they were four short genetic inserts. And they, when they put them through the BLAST program, which, you know, looks at DNA sequencing, they discovered that all these inserts uh, aligned with the HIV genetics, so human immunodeficiency virus and that was pretty shocking. And the other thing they said is that it was invariant through all the specimens they looked at. Now, that bit of information, what it told me at the time, well at the time I didn't quite understand the whole controversy about viruses, but what it has told me subsequently is they can make up viruses. Viruses don't have to exist, and I and I figured out from all this. I didn't really think when you when you look at the numbers and you look at how this spread across Europe and you know Italy. It really hit three cities. It hit it hit Wuhan, China. It hit Lombardy, Italy area, and then it came to New York City. If it had been airborne with the R naught value, the, the infectivity that they claimed, this would have ripped through Portsmouth, you know, Virginia. It would have ripped through Omaha, Nebraska, and Paris and London. It would not have spared cities. That's not what happened. Very much, you know, the the big lie in all this probably is there are no really airborne diseases like they tell us. Every time they think there's an airborne disease, it turns out to be something else, from bubonic plague to cholera to this. It's always, oh, sorry, that was lice and mice. Even the pandemic of nineteen eighteen was not airborne disease. They tried every which, way. they actually did science back then, they actually tried to prove transmission, they couldn't do it. So I think that's what's, what, what was going on. And so I determined pretty much in my mind that this was a man-made pathogen it was some kind of genetic poison, and it was spread. It wasn't airborne. It was spread. And in favor of that, by the way, we actually had a video that came out, and I think the Epic Times might still have it. I don't see it on the internet anywhere. That's one of those things that got scrubbed, but it was around for a while, and it showed this woman in a computer store just in, China, in Wuhan, China, when all this was happening, opening up. And then closing computers, she'd open up the thing, touch the keyboard, close it. Open, touch, close. Open, touch, close. So she wasn't really looking at the computers; she was just touching the keyboards. What's that tell you? I mean, she that's, that's bio the kind of
0: where her agent maybe
1: right. That's the kind of thing you would do if you wanted to spread a contact genetic poison. And this is when I tell people that have no real biology background or don't. I mean, this is very complicated, even for those of us who have a pretty good biology background. This, what we've learned through all this, is is that that it's easy to snocker us because. This is so technical, okay. And if you don't understand all these but, technical it may be even,
0: points, it may be even more difficult for us, quote, science-minded people, because we've been taught a dogma our whole life that viruses. Oh yeah, that's true. Work this way. Yeah, yeah. We're not open-minded. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm cracking that door open a little bit on the virus thing, and, but it. Right. It's hard to justify but, because but, how but many? What we can say for many many sure is this. Were,
1: Yeah, no, what we can say for sure is we are in the age of synthetic biology. Craig Ventner uh, showed us he could build from scratch a a cell that could reproduce. And so... You know, what have they told us a virus is? Regardless of all that, you know, you can. there's so much we could talk about, about do viruses exist as we think they do? Are they real? But what we do say is this. They call a virus a very small bit of genetic material wrapped in a lipoprotein coating that, that flies around, gets into your mucous membranes, and can make you sick or even kill you. But what would we call a genetic toxin? Now we're talking about another very small piece of genetic material, but this time it's either man-made or man-manipulated. They could take it. I don't doubt that this came out of a a bat, but it it was man-extracted, and they varied it, and they cut it down, and they inserted these four HIV inserts. They manufactured it in a lab or multiple labs. And then... Uh, you wrap it in a lipoprotein coating. So it's the same thing. It's a small amount of man-manipulated genetic material wrapped in a lipoprotein coating, also lab-manipulated, gen- made by people. And it can fly around, get into your nose, and make you sick or kill you. The issue is, does it fly around or is it is it spread? I think it's spread by... This is what you would call a tactile contact poison. Now, I will tell you that knowing something about history makes you understand this a little bit better. I'm I'm an old fart and I can tell you that when I was in training in Rochester, New York in the 1970s nobody heard of emerging infectious diseases. We didn't talk about it. At least not at my level, not at, not at a level where they were teaching us about biology and about the world around us in medicine. So that term came about in kind of the mid 80s. And it had to do with the, the emergence of Ebola, AIDS, Um, you know, uh, other hemorrhagic fevers, all these different weird things out of Africa. And at that time, they never quite found an animal source. They never found a, uh, they never, just like the old, you know, Stanley Livingston and whatever, trying to trace the headwaters of the Nile. They never quite got to the actual, you know, case, whatever, zero in the animal vector phenomenon. It was, but it was, it was always a story, you know, like, uh, oh, we paved the Kinshasa highway, so these things started coming out. But what was really happening? Well, what was happening is, from the from the 1980s on, the South African Defence Force was running a bioweapons program, and this came out during the Truth and Reconciliation Committee of Desmond Tutu. We, I mean. Other people knew it before that, but it became public this way. And it turned out that um, they were doing a bioweapons program in South Africa to de- depopulate the black population. Let's, let's be honest, that's what it was all about. It was a demographic bomb. They literally talked about the black bomb. I mean, people should be offended by this, but I don't see anybody getting really upset. Um, and it's still going on. So anyway, they, they were doing all this, and we were theoretically not involved. But there was a guy, and a lot of a lot of people have. There have been a lot of suicides around this program, right? Including people that were just about to testify before Mi Five and blah blah blah. There was a guy named Larry Ford, and by all observation, he looked like every day's uh, you know family OBGYN doctor in Los Angeles, delivered babies, Mormon family, you know, nice guy apparently. But unbeknownst to everybody, he was going back and forth to South Africa with these pathogens, and they remember it as calling, calling it Project Larry. This one guy down in, in that was that testified at the bioweapons program or the Desmond Tutu's thing. He he said, "Yeah, we called it Project Larry," and he was actually um, looking at how to get, uh, or how to do. What, it was how to convert everyday items into contact poisons. So you know, think about it. They're they're what they're telling you know like one. Of, here's an example. This is better by example. So what they were telling you is. Um, uh, we they tried to poison this guy one time. They wanted to murder this, assassinate this this guy, and so they made a, po- a shirt that had a contact poison on it. They hung it in his closet. Unfortunately, unbeknownst to them, he lent the shirt to his friend, and his friend died. So it was proof of concept, wow. but it was the wrong victim. Okay, but that's the kind of thing they were doing. Wow. So. Then, then you know, kind of fast forward, if you look at, I think it was 1999 that these this two ch- Chinese colonels came out with a book called Unrestricted Warfare, and they talk about this. They really talk about turning, they said that one day people will wake up to discover that that everyday items have now become items of lethality something like that so they basically they're saying one day the american people or whoever is going to wake up and they're going to find out they're being killed by their toaster you know <laughs> that's what they're talking about yeah. and that's what they were doing in south africa and i believe that's pertinent to what's going on here and what what came across right, that, that we call
0: covid that that kind of you've talked about this before is the the binary the binary bioweapon system and this idea that you have to have input from two different sources to make to make the poison.
1: Well, that's also and that possible. makes me wonder. Could no, I'm not sure. If could that some that of these household initially? ingredients be? I'm
0: sorry. Say again. That that could be that. That makes me wonder if some of these household ingredients could be the the second hit of that binary system. <laughs>
1: Well, that is certainly a possibility, but then, the, since then, since South Africa, we've been doing other things. So in 2015, there was a study done and published in 2016 in Australia, and, and people can look this up still. It's called Self-Disseminating Vaccines for Emerging Infectious Diseases. Now we even have an Emerging Infectious EID Journal, Emerging Infectious Disease Journal. Well, the, the, and I was just on with a with a podcast in Australia, and sh- and I asked this, and Australians know about this. We don't seem to have this problem, at least I don't know about it, and I grew up in farm country, where suddenly they wake up one day and the farmer finds out their whole farm is overrun with mice. I mean, <laughs> apparently they have these mice outbreaks. <laughs> so they decided they were going to get yeah. rid of the mice, and how are they going to do it? Well, um, they don't have the weapons anymore. They're not going to shoot them. They're not going to trap them. They can't you know, individually poison them, so what do they do? They they figure out a way to make a vaccine, and they call it a vaccine that they give to the mice. It sterilizes them by killing the female ovaries. But then, as after they take a bunch of these mice and inject inject this material into them, and it's a genetic material, and it's built just like the J and J vaccine. It's a viral based, it's a replicant deficient viral based genetic agent. Okay, that's really what it, VBGTs is what these call, viral based genetic therapies. They inject the mice. The mice become sterile because it damages their ovaries. They they let them out in the wild, and then these mice go and they they rub up against other mice. And by touch, not by airborne, but by touch, they shed on other people. Other, excuse me, that was a Freudian slip. They shed on other mice, and then they (laughs) they become sterile. Same thing. Their ovaries get killed then that either bigger group goes out and then they rub up against other mice and they become sterile and at the end of the day, you've killed up a bunch of mice. Now, it doesn't go forever. After three or four passes, two to four passes somehow in the nature, it it peters out. So it's not there forever. Think about what's happening This reminds me of a
0: question. This reminds me of a question I've been wanting to ask you for a little while now. If we make a vaccine that's self-spreading How is that any different than a virus?
1: Right, right. That's what I'm saying. What a virus is. You, you got it. We've entered the world of 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 synthetic biology. I think we've created we've created what they're telling us a virus is, with one exception, and that's what the big lie is. The big lie here is airborne, because, and I and I say this not just because of my own observations that I think are true. I say this because in 2015, and it goes back to 2008 in the EMA, the European Medicines Agency, um, the FDA in 2015 came out with a circular that I have a copy of I can send you. This is from the FDA to their researchers. And keep in mind, what we call now this COVID vaccine, these were not devised as vaccines. They were designed, except for this mouse thing, they were designed to be genetic therapies and cancer therapies, which, which says two things. One is they're targetable. Don't let any of these v- vaccine researchers lie to you and tell you, oh, we didn't know it didn't go outside the arm. Yes, you did, because you devi- Novavax devised the matrix M coding to exactly put it in the ovary and in other the testicle, ovary, and spleen, and to be able to be targeted to cancer areas. So they knew about this. But they, these things are, um, oh, now I lost my train of thought. These things are man-made, and they are they're but the, the the fda knew they weren't spread by air because when they told they put the circular out because they said to their researchers hey we've got a problem we're hearing from people just so you know we're hearing from uh other researchers and you should know that the people that are living around your study people the people you're putting in these studies you're giving these agents to you're injecting into they're having something happen to them like they're getting shed on and we don't and they actually call it you know, shedding, um, inter, you know, issues about shedding on these agents, and so the question is, what what what's coming off of them? And they say, well, we don't really know what's coming out. It could be genetic, it could be infectious, or it could be some recombinant. Isn't that comforting? They just put this out on the whole world, and they did not know what was coming out. Yeah, but they said, here's They'd how they told the, the, the researchers to to check them. They said, first of all, you should protect neonates. The elderly and the immune compromised don't don't let your study people get around those people or pregnant women. Essentially, <laughs> they didn't do that here, right? They they pushed it on those people, right. um, but they said uh, check their urine, their their feces, their saliva. In other words, they what they told you is sweat. They said it came out on sweat. They were telling them this is a contact agent. That's what they were telling them. And I think that's this is the same stuff repurposed for this. In fact, that's what this may have that's been out about all along. I purposely I've become, right. and, and I know my husband does think I'm I've I've gone off the deep end sometimes, but I the more you read, the more you believe that we are in a conscious program of depopulation. And they're using things that they they claim they, they were devised for one thing, but they were actually, I think, devised for this. This is the big end game scenario to many, many years. Of consorted research to get us here, and it started, by the way, with DNA harvesting all over the world.
0: Correct. Well, and one thing that just is is this: we say it's for this, but but in reality, it's for this. Is and I told you about this before, but the DSPC and DSPE lipid nanoparticles; those are specifically patented to deliver medications to the brain. Yes. But they told us all it's going to stay in your arm. Don't worry, it'll be in your arm. It's not going to go anywhere else right i mean it's a lie yeah it's a total lie and
1: think about it if you're going to have a, a, a cancer therapy you can't have something that dumps it in your kidney when you're brain and you're dealing with brain cancer or in your it, it wants to go to the liver um so i honestly think i mean they had to know so uh, you're you're we're, we're still in and also an information war keeping that in mind the only part of when we call bioweapons only part of bioweapons have to do with biology. The rest has to do with our biology, like our psyche. And now I will tell you the scariest part about this. The latest thing is, um, and I just discovered this by accident when I, because the word mafia was in my search thing and I discovered the nanomafia. And I don't know if you've heard about that, but this is a thing. I have not. There was a doctor in Peru. So this is the next step. It's when you marry the synthetic biology to nanotechnology. It's really a horrible situation now. So there's a doctor in Peru that, um, and I don't know if he's still there. I'm trying to get into contact with him. But the, this guy wrote a paper, and he's from a university program. He's an internal medicine doctor. He wrote a paper, and it was about the nano mafia. And the idea is that they're working on nanotechnology, basically nanobots. And so for people to understand this, these are little robots that are submicroscopic.
0: You can't see them. And they I encourage are... you to go look them up because it may yeah. sound like she's talking crazy. She is not. I guarantee you. And yeah. there's even xenobots that exist. And a xenobot is a pre-programmed living cell that should terrify you because right. it certainly terrifies me. Right,
1: and that's and that's Craig Ventner. You know, he showed that you can make a cell to produce whatever you want, whether it's alcohol or 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 cotton or whatever. I can take a cell, I can program it to produce something, and then I can target it. I can put it back into you and target your brain if I want to. I mean, that's just what they can do. There's even journals of nanotechnology. We are in the
0: age of Frankenstein.
1: This is out in the open. There's journals of nanotechnology. They just don't expect people to look at it. You know, but so what his point is, is that this nanorobotics, which these little nanorobots are so small, we can't see them. And they are, uh, they're detected like chemicals, um, but they can be created in a lab to, to literally mechanically um, deal with things at the, at the chemical level, at the atomic level. I mean, and they can flow through your bloodstream and get into your blood, pass through the blood-brain barrier under the right circumstances. You don't have to have them injected. In fact, he said that the preferred method of getting them into people is actually beer, which is kind of creepy, but it's oral ingestion because alcohol helps for a bunch of reasons. And beer specifically, I think, is good because it opens up the tight junctions in the bowel, allows stuff to flow out of the bowel into your bloodstream, and then it can put that stuff into your into your brain. But what their point here is, is that... Just this this, this nano-mafia uses the same, it, it employs the same economics that the drug lords do. I mean, what you have, you know, if drugs were legal, you, you they'd be one thing. But drugs are illegal, so you have to get people of less ethical means to distribute them, right? So here you have researchers that are doing all this nanotechnology research but they really can't find anybody to volunteer for their study to have their brain invaded by nanobots, so they employ people that will help them do it clandestinely. And this is just like if people don't believe that can happen, think about the LSD experiments that we now have the CIA admitting they did in the 1950s and 60s with unknown, with unwary um, victims. These people did not realize there's, they were being experimented upon. Now we're having really this happen. There's a book that
0: outlines all of that. What's that really good book that outlines all of that. And it's called Poisoner in Chief. And it's all about Sidney Gottlieb and how he was totally destructive to all of humanity and how he did uh, experiments on Americans and humans on other soil, which never should have happened. All all that came to light in the church um, investigation. And that's
1: that's exactly you you hit it. That is exactly what we're dealing with here. And you know, it's it, part of the problem here. And this is what J. Edgar Hoover once said: that you know the we are the individual is handicapped by coming face to face with a conspiracy so monstrous he cannot believe it exists. You know, we we tend to be we we decent normal people tend to project our normal feelings onto other people, but we have to stop doing that and realize there are people out here that are willing to experiment just like Mengele in the death camps. We think he's an aberration. Keep in mind, I don't know if you knew this, but I always used to think when I was heard about him in the past, I used to think he must have been the bottom of his medical school class, couldn't get a job. Why would he be doing this, you know? Well, no. He was the top of his medical school class. He was an MD, PhD that worked for the Kaiser Wilhelm uh, Institute of Medicine when he was doing all that. It was the university guys, the brightest and the best that were doing that. So don't think there aren't people out there that want to do this to us. But so here you have, so now what goes on, and, and this guy says it's primarily in South America, but trust me, it'll spread. That's why South America kind of, and and certain areas of the world were the people that really got were able to be used to get the drug worldwide drug trade going well so you have got technology people scientists physicians that are developing these nanobots and you've got people in organized crime that can help get victims sort so-called spec, you know uh, test subjects to them and, and once that marriage was made, they started realizing the potential of this. So, for example, in the criminal world, if I could, if, if I want to rob a bank, you know, now I'd have to, I have to, you know, figure out a way of, of disabling their security systems, you know, maybe capturing people or bribing people, blah, 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 blah. Not anymore. Now all I have to do is take the, the bank CEO out for a beer and dose him with nanobots and control his behavior so he gives us the code and opens up the bank for us. That's the kind of potential here. So you got organized hey, crime married me? with organized big tech, big money.
0: Can I pause you for a second? Because that seems almost as if what is happening right now, Why? why, let's say, the military in particular keeps just driving forward with this unrelenting force that everyone must get right shot put in them when there's so much evidence that it's so destructive
1: right and think about this i mean this is what i started speaking out right away even before we had a vaccine i said wait a minute guys let's just back up here let's think what we're doing has the general staff been captured because in no rational defense world would this be allowed? The Literally the blueprint for, all, for the vaccines that our military, all our first responders, our border patrol agents, our police, our firefighters, our trauma surgeons, everybody, truck drivers, everybody you need to keep society functioning and the nation secure. Where did we get the blueprint for the vaccine we just gave them? Oh, from the communist Chinese. Literally that's what they did. And it came from, I've got the paper, I keep it here on my desk. It's literally from one guy. They had one patient, and keep in mind early on, and this is December of 2019, early, like early, like end of December 2019, early, early in 2020, when they uploaded this genetic sequence to the gene bank, they didn't have any testing and we never have, but they didn't have, they didn't have, a t- they knew they didn't have a test and they didn't have any autopsy confirmation. This was a live patient. They claim, now I don't believe this story happened this way, but this is what they say. So, just on the face of it, nobody should trust this. They say, we have this guy that's the prototype COVID patient. We've, we've, we've sucked out some lung goo, we've sequenced it. And that's sketchy. We've sequenced it. We've put this genetic sequence up. And Dr. Fauci was so excited that that genetic sequence, now we have the genome of this horrible disease in Wuhan, no problem. We're going to make a vaccine within hours. And that's what happened. And that's what they're forcing. That's what they want you to force on your troops. I mean, does anybody see the national security problem with that? I certainly do. And it's like for a disease that only killed 20 in all the services in 2020. Are you kidding me? 99.986% survival rate. Yeah, and that's all ages, everybody. You guys, you young people in the military, you're the best, healthiest people well, around was military. and screened. You're going to be a lot
0: less yeah. than that. It was yeah, uh, For it's the military insane. itself, it was 99, seven percent uh, survival rate. Yeah. Incredibly high and, survival rate.
1: And, and here we are. It's also, it drifts over from what we're seeing in the military. It's also drifting over into the civilian aspects of, let's just look at pilots. Now, I was never a flight surgeon, but I was always on Marine Air bases. And I can tell you, knowing flight surgeons, they never gave experimental drugs to people that were flying combat jets or anything, helicopters. You didn't give military pilots experimental drugs. It had to be on the market for five years. And it clearly had to be. Something, I mean, they had other restrictions, okay. What? So we're worried about the low, uh, there's an altimeter issue. They're worried about 5G and this low altitude device, right? But we're not worried about having both both of the pilots in a commercial, you know, big jumbo jet. Vaccinated with this stuff that we don't know what it does. We don't know we we've had sudden deaths. I talked to Captain Snow who landed, you know, who had the unfortunate he survived and great guy, but he landed the jet and then six months six minutes later had a cardiac arrest. He was the chief pilot on a big big airplane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um,
0: yeah, it's it's so all the people on the plane. But also all the people underneath the plane. The houses that he could have landed on the buildings he could have landed in
1: yeah look at the look at the 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 dust-up hissy fit that always happens if we accidentally crash a military jet near a civilian area and yet we're 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 violating every principle of military uh medicine not to mention just national security issues and that's why i say how is that we have not one general officer standing against this other than maybe the Marine Corps or Commandant, but that I don't hear too much about now. You know, this is, this is unprecedented. So, and, and you're right. And why do we care that everybody gets it, even for military readiness? There's a, there's a reason they don't want people left behind sane, I think, because they'll recognize what's going on here. If you, if you didn't take yeah, it, your this, brain is still working. You've got to be suspicious.
0: There's this idea I'm bringing up in a prior podcast um, to us talking, is that fosun Pharmaceutical made an agreement with, I think uh, it was BioNTech, and I think it was on 20 March 2020. And then BioNTech made an agreement with Pfizer. Uh, this is like July 2020. So basically you have Pfizer making an agreement with a Chinese company. Oh, Yeah building and injecting and doing the testing. And I believe that many of the redacted testing sites were probably in China because China was going to do the development and the testing for much of biotech. And it's all public record.
1: Yeah. and, and China, and, the
0: same... Sorry.
1: Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and we were already getting 99%, essentially, of our medications from China. And we weren't paying attention right. to that either as a national
0: security issue. And China is the same country that had a news article come out how they put a very tiny explosive in the helmet of their troops.
1: You know, I missed that one. Tell me about yeah. that.
0: That's, that's
1: very interesting. That's just because we you don't need a
0: very big explosive.
1: If, if we need to get rid of them, that's all we... That, it's, it's the kamikaze yeah. redux.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, Bill didn't do what I said. Well, let me go hit Bill's button.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Because you don't need a very big well, explosive if it's inside your helmet. And it doesn't do anything to the enemy if it's inside your helmet.
1: And that's what I tell people is in the military, don't take it, don't take it, don't take it. Because, okay, first of all, they know it's illegal to force military to get any vaccine. It's illegal by the Code of Federal Regulations. By you know, They put this in there, congressional law put this in there because of the anthrax debacle. And there's another point, by the way. If you want to know who the psychopaths are that we're working with, that's in charge of this, that you cannot trust with your with your well being, and certainly with the with the well being of the nation and our military resources, um, the same adjuvant that they first used experimentally in the in the Gulf War anthrax vaccine, which gave Gulf War syndrome, no question about it, was squalene. And years later after after claiming that they weren't going to do it, they they inserted it in the flu vaccine, the flu ad and some others that were now being mandated for nurses. And guess what? It's in this too. It's buried in here in this nanoparticle, this matrix M. Don't you love that? The matrix M coating somehow, yeah. but it's, they love squalene. They just, you know, they promised they wouldn't use it because they knew it caused ALS and killed a bunch of our Gulf War veterans. But doggone, it's so immunogenic. I really, they really want to use it no matter what. And uh, it really stimulates but, the immune system so that they can pass their tests.
0: I, I think that's a good way to explain this to, to other people to kind of understand, well, why would they use squalene? Or why would they use, well, they're not using squalene. They're using this, that's squalene plus. It's like, right. <laughs> well, you can take amphetamine or you could take bath salts. They're chemically, their chemical structure is very, very similar and they have a similar effect. And with, when it comes to chemicals and chemistry, if you have a similar structure, you do have a similar effect. And I know just me looking at the, um, the lipid nanoparticles, it's, it's a long carbon chain connected to like a phosphate with another long carbon chain. And yeah. squalene is a long carbon chain. And we know that long carbon chains cause a lot of the problems that squalene caused. Right. Right. So, yeah, it just, everything points to a takedown.
1: Of Western civilization, I and I don't know how much we can deny that we're being attacked. And and keep in mind too that our researchers, our DARPA people, and our people in, you know that that look into that, that deal with these, they've been saying you know Giordano, who's spoken at the you know he's the he's the guy about the brain the brain body interface. The brain is the new battlefield, and that's what the Chinese hired Charles Lieber for because from Harvard. So. We were involved in this. This was, and by the way, this is, this is where it takes us to Ukraine eventually, but we were involved in all this research. And what the Chinese um, army colonels said in their book on unrestricted warfare is their number one acquisition in the future was brain electronic interface. And that's what this is giving them. That's what this whole thing ultimately goes to with the nanotechnology. Um, I don't think it's, it's, You know, to deny that there's other stuff in here is kind of futile at this point. I think anybody that wants to deny that there are things that are nanotechnology in these hasn't been doing their own independent research. And a simple one that I did... Was the paperclip test? When people came into my office that had had the vaccine, I asked them, "Hey, can I? Would you volunteer to just be one of my subjects? I want to just ask you a couple of questions. Have you had the vac? If you've had the vaccine or not? And if they didn't, I did a couple of people that did not have the vaccine just as my controls. But none of them obviously were positive for this. But 60% of people that had had the vaccine within two months were magnetic, meaning I could put a paperclip at the site of the vaccination and it stuck. Okay. It wasn't sweat. No, I know how to do an exam. You know, and I did controls around their body. It didn't stick anywhere else, but it stuck there. I didn't find anybody where where it stuck on their head. But there, you know, you see these pictures on the internet of spoons sticking to people and all sorts of stuff. It's real. Have I mean, have any of these
0: people have it? Go ahead. Have any of these people gone through an MRI? Because that would seem like that could be a yeah, nightmare. Yeah, I do think that they, there's a reason
1: health. they can't. They told women. You know, they claimed it was due to enlarged lymph nodes, and it might have been, but they told women, don't get your mammograms early, don't do an MRI, blah, blah, blah. And so, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm out of the hospital now, so I don't have that, but I would think yeah. that would be. But see, graphene, unlike, graphene is great because it's an electron transporter. So, it can convert gigahertz, for example, to terahertz. Think about 5G as all the gigahertz range, but you've got to convert it to terahertz to run nanobots and nanotechnology. Mm-hmm. But graphene and carbon fiber is what we use like when I was in, in training for halos that could go into the MRI with no problem. Because magnetically, it's not mm-hmm. a problem. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not ferromagnetic. Now, some of this yeah. stuff, if they were using some stuff, it could have been an issue, but I haven't heard a lot about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But this, and, this and, and let me just, I just want to say something about the Ukraine and this whole thing, how it plays a role, because I yeah. think this is something people need to know, and especially you guys in the military. I mean, we want to point fingers, and I can tell you early on, when everybody started pointing their fingers at Wuhan, I kept saying, hold on, hold on, guys, there's more to this story. So then, then we traced the train back, and it was, you know, we heard about Ralph Barrick in 2013 that got the NIH grants to look at coronavirus and HIV. I mean, he put it together. He's, he talked about all this. But but it actually went back to 2012 to Frank Plummer in Winnipeg, who then had, an, had a fatal, fatal a sudden death experience down in Africa when he was giving a guest lecture. So a lot of the trail goes cold there. We had the Chinese researchers in Wuhan, but before all that, when the Soviet Union started falling apart, okay, 1991 roughly, um, we were concerned, you know, we always have to do things for the good of humanity. And so the Congress was concerned that all these nuclear stockpiles, chemical weapons, and, and um, um, atomic, biologic, and chemical weapons would be loosed on the world because the, the, the little Soviet socialist republics around Russia couldn't afford to keep them up and they might, you know, come into the wrong hands or leak into the streams or whatever. We better go do something out of the goodness of our corporate heart. So they took your tax dollars and my tax dollars. And um, they, in 1991, the nunn Luger Act was signed, Senators Nunn and Luger, And they went into the socialist republics and they bought up all the old bioweapons labs. Okay. They bought them be- and they staffed them and they ran them. And they sent Michael Callahan from Harvard over to be the chief of it. And he was given a directive to turn them into vaccine producing things and to to take over the, the old we the old weapons labs of biopreparat, so they knew what they were going after, and to do gain of function research. Huh. And all that would be
0: legal within the United States.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have to offshore things. Now, we've subsequently found out, and I can't remember of the, the, the name of it, but it's like there's a whole list on the NIH you can look at yourself. I just truthed this out, by the way. I put it on my Truth Social um, at Freedom Doc. Anyway, and it ha- it's the list of the all-around-the-world bioweapons labs that we funded through NIH funding. And, you know, they can call them a lot of different things. I will tell you, if you see something that says... Uh, threat reduction or biodefense run away run away those are bioweapons programs
0: like patriot act yeah it does the opposite of what they name it but
1: think of the year here this is 1991 and it wasn't clandestine they did it openly they funded it openly Mm -hmm. the luger lab they even named the tbilisi bioweapons lab that they converted this the luger lab and they had they had they had just um paper trail Agreements with the co- with the co- the countries that we were in that we could we would be held harmless if anything happened to our test subjects in your company in your country, and Dr. Callahan, who's an ID guy, probably still at Harvard, he published a paper with a Thai uh, colleague, and I believe it was published in 2002, which means they were doing the research in the 90s. Okay on bat coronavirus, okay they categorize. they were they were they were working in, in way back on categorizing 10,000 bats coronavirus and they published this stuff. So so trust me, this wasn't the Chinese that invented this stuff. It, the conclusion I make is that we as Americans who were you know, patriotic people that were, went to the military that paid our taxes all our life we paid our taxes so that so that they could hi, my government could hire bioweaponeers to then kill my children with bioweapons that's what's going on and i'm pissed about it <laughs> if you want to know my honest opinion I'm pretty I've, I've had it with that yeah. <laughs> so um and yeah. i think everybody should and, and and the problem i see is just like nuremberg one everybody when he talks about nuremberg they're they're throwing the red shirts under the bus. Think about it. Tony Fauci, if they get rid of Fauci, does anything change? Did Fauci do any the of this research himself? No. no.
0: He
1: it, it, a not He was a bureaucrat. He was the bag man. He was the mob bag man for this. He took the mob guys, mob bosses money, and he funneled it out. And then if they didn't speak the right words, like if hospitals that took his funding now start talking about uh, – Ivermectin, cut off your funding just like the bag man will yep. break your knees if you don't do what the mob boss says. So that's what this – that's his role. They can find another person to do that. They don't need him. So, yeah.
0: It's the and, infrastructure that that needs to be
1: – Oh, made. yeah. they And they've been doing this for a long time. And i got to tell you an interesting thing I found out about Tony Fauci. I, I actually had some training with Tony Fauci. He used to come over from NIH to Bethesda Naval Hospital when I was an intern. And, and I'm sure you've had this experience where you had to go to a lecture and you were so tired because you'd been up all the night before. Well, I was in that situation.
0: I have narcolepsy. So
1: yeah, yes. well, I, yeah, it's like seemed like narcolepsy, right? I... Uh, <laughs> I, I was in a room, I'll never forget this because I thought at the time, is what I remembered of it was kind of interesting, <laughs> but mostly I was horrified that I fell asleep right in front of this guy from the NIH. But Tony Fauci came over and we were in a room where it was him, my chief resident, my fellow intern, and me. Four people in this room and I fell asleep right next to Tony Fauci. But anyway, um, <laughs> I looked him up a little bit because I, I'm discovering in this war against humanity not only are there fault, are there lies about viruses and lies about all this stuff. There's there there are people that I I'm calling them synthetic people, and I don't mean that they're robots or anything, but they're not who they pretend to be. Okay, you, they're it, uh, they just their past is been made up for them. They've been doors have opened. They've been put into places. They've been pre you know it's like pre-stationing your troops in a war, right? They've been put in there pre-positioned for this. Tony Fauci claims he graduated from Cornell Medical School in, uh, somewhere in the uh, 70s or late 60s. And then he claims he did a residency in internal medicine in Cornell Hospital. But it turns out that, and I thought he was some big hotshot when he came over and was talking to us about capillaroscopic. I remember we were talking about capillaroscopic observations in rheumatologic disorders. I thought he was a real immunologist or something. Do you know that he's only, according to his timeline, he only had two years of training out of medical school, which means he's a GP and nothing else. He doesn't didn't finish an right. internal medicine residency, it appears, because he was plucked out of this Cornell, this so-called, that they claim that he was a Cornell uh, residency, and put in the NIH as, what, an assistant professor, instructor, what? It's just, that doesn't make sense. If, and, and all of you in medicine, they're listening, you know that can't happen. But here's the other thing is, I learned this, once you're a doctor in New York, you're always licensed there. Whether or not you use the license, your license is always on record, All you have to do is reactivate it, right? You don't have to reapply, you just reactivate it. I know that because I was asked one time to do locum tenens and I found this out. Now, I've only had a license in New York State for one year, 1989 to 90. I trained there in medical school, but I didn't, my residency in the Navy, so I didn't was out, but I did my fellowship in spine surgery at the University of Rochester for one year and I had to get a medical license. I can go back all these years later and find it online. You can't find any evidence that Tony Fauci ever had a New York state medical license, but he claimed he was trained in Cornell. What? You see what I'm saying? There's something can. wrong with these people. You have to have a license He's not to the train. only one that there are inconsistencies you about.
0: You have to have a training license to be able to do residency. Yeah. Internship everywhere. Here. Even if you don't. And you always residency.
1: did as far as I know.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so well, that would make the, sense on and, his and flip-flopping I, on so many issues
1: yeah he's a paid man, like I say he was he was given you know I mean the other the other thing which we need to which w- people might say this really sounds crazy, which is why I don't always bring it up, but it is key to the point here. I honestly believe that the world is completely not what we thought. We thought we were living in representative democracy or representative republics where we chose our candidates. And maybe for the mayor of my little tiny town, that's true. But that is not true at the national level. It appears that we have been run by a bloodline um, inherited oligarchy. And if you look at the people that are running this covid mess, this this vaccine push, They are from what's called the the, generally they're from this K26R bloodline of which I might be a member, by the way. Um, and the and and this is a bloodline that goes way back, way back to ancient Khazaria and Turkey and wherever it goes from there, Sumeria, we don't know, but I can tell you we can trace it to, to those areas. And the and and if you look at the people, Fauci probably, but like Dr. Walensky, the CEO of the CD or the chief of the CDC um, the uh Uger I think his name's Uger Sahin the chief of BioNTech he's a, he's a, he's he's from that area in Turkey he's a muslim but he's in this particular group that that keep to themselves and intermarry you you know who the K26R people are because they're people that for thousands of years always intermarried they didn't they they don't let their bloodline Become impure. They keep, they marry within the tribe. Think the big bankers in Europe, think the, and in America probably, The, the banking houses, the royal houses, which is how I probably came by it. This is a female distributed genetic line. And why is this important? Because the people with this do not get damaged by the spike protein like everybody else. That's the
0: bottom line. What's interesting is that brings me back to that quote you said towards the beginning by J. Edgar Hoover that people will not be able to understand the conspiracy because it's so great. It's so And nasty. when did he say that? Back in back in oh, the 30s, 40s? Probably I don't know. in the 40s, yeah, 50s. How, how in the world could you have a conspiracy so great back then that it, no one could comprehend it? And if it wasn't discovered and brought to light then, how much more has that grown?
1: Right, right. If, the more you know, the more it fits. Unfortunately, it sounds crazy, and if I had said this to myself 10 years ago, I would have said that's the craziest thing I ever heard. But it start, I, I started down this road when somebody sent me a paper from Philadelphia, and um, Philadelphia is kind of the heart of this. He's not The paper wasn't made in Philadelphia, but the guy that gave it to me is. And he, and he showed me this paper, and it's the ACE2, I think the name of it is something like ACE2, and TMPRSS2 pathways, genetic variants in ACE2 and TMPRSS2 pathways, something like that. It has to do with the fact that when they, when you look at people of different. Categories, and that's what they did. They went around the world and they checked people that there's different stickiness. You know, the the ACE2 pathway is how this thing gets into you. The spike protein, the S1 subunit of the ACE2 pathway, has a hook that is unique to this, that was bioengineered into this, and it hooks into your ACE2 pathway, which allows it to go and do all the bad stuff that we see in the human body. So that chemical bond, it's a it's an electrochemical bond, is different depending on your genetics. And um so, for example, if you're a white Caucasian from Europe, you've got a 56% upregulation of that bond, and that's the worst, by the way. That's the they're the top target apparently. Now, that's accepting Finnish. Funny thing about the Finnish, they don't they don't select out with the, with the other white guys from Europe, and then it's 39% for blacks and non-African blacks and African blacks, and then it is 10% for Asians and Finnish. It turns out and I learned this from James Grunvig, who's an American media periscope. He's Norwegian. And he told me, oh yeah, the Finnish, they're different than the rest of us in Scandinavia. They came from the uh, Korean peninsula. So they migrated mm-hmm. up through Mongolia and intermarried, whatever. And it came up to that way. So they are they are um, 10% upregulated. And then it hits zero. And zero is this K26R uh, genetics. And again, who are they? Well, they're the Amish. The Amish have been there are people that are from that um, eastern Turkey, western uh, the Ukraine area, and what they, mm-hmm. they're they now talking about the old Khazarian Empire. They're the people that are from that area, and they migrated all over the world. They interspersed in all over the world, like probably the Saudi royal house. I mean, can't prove that one, but that's what I've heard they're all, K-26R. That the the royal houses in Europe now I can tell you, oh Ashkenazi Jews, um, which are not they're mm-hmm. not technically Semitic Jews. They're from a they're from this area. They're not Sephardic, which which kind of explains maybe That's this genocide story. going on yeah. in Israel. You've got two groups of people. They may all claim to be Jewish, but they're not the same Jewish. know I don't want to get into that fight. But right. there there's there yeah. I, mean, I couldn't figure I out Jewish what was heritage
0: happening. and, but there's some interesting <laughs> ideas that are going on in that realm that I don't really. Right. Well enough to educate. I know. Educate I don't know really much about. about it either,
1: but I talked to my friends who, um, uh, one of my, one of the people I know that's Italian and you know, you listen to him. He sounds like a mob guy out of New York. He's just got that classic Italian, New York accent. And, and I don't mean that to disparage all the non-mob Italians I'll hear from now, <laughs> but I don't mean it that way. But it's just like, if you've ever heard the Godfather, he sounds like that, but he's talking yeah, about his family. Movie, yeah. And he was telling me one time that he's got this really interesting family because half of his family is classic Italian heritage, you know. And then but by marriage, he's got some Ashkenazim in his family. And sometimes they would get together and there'd be kind of sparks flying and all sorts of stuff. And so one time he took his Uncle Mo aside and said, hey, What's this whole deal about the Ashkenazim and the Sephardim and what you know the different different factions within Judaism? And he says, "Well, yeah, we don't like those people very well, or we don't get along with those people very well, or whatever." And he said, "And you know, mm-hmm. we are not Jews like their Jews, you know, and it, and it, because the story goes that the Ashkenazi were the Khazarians that 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 adopted Judaism, they're not they're not genetically the same. This is the point. It's not about which is an interesting and, and point because. An answer-
0: I don't really want to broach it here but that's an interesting point that kind of correlates to some other things that I've been learning but I don't really Right, want to I mean this whole thing so here.
1: so my my experience my personal experience with this and I called Zelenko, who you know uh, Dr. Zelenko, when I heard first got this paper and um you know I mean he's been a he, he's Ashkenazi he's been a real stand up guy in this whole fight I mean and he's treated all these Ashkenazi people that they thought had covid now keep in mind we didn't have a test so the problem is did he you know one of the questions you have to ask is and this is what i said is are you sure that your results are not so good because you're dealing with people that are genetically somewhat immune to this that they might be getting flu or right. they might That's be getting it they're not. and and he and he said well he didn't see a difference but see he did not treat a non-ashkenazi i'm in a situation where none of my patients were ashkenazi so i saw the other side of it we didn't we don't have a we don't have a comparison group in our own practices. But here's an interesting point. I got shed on by um, by somebody in my, my practice that I was doing a knee exam on, and it just like, I got I I figured this out because I only go to the office once a week now and, and my staff runs it the rest of the time. And she was kind of bragging at the desk that she'd just gotten the vaccine within three days. I got shed on. And about four days after that, I got a little diarrhea and kind of felt kind of pooky, not like me for a couple of days. And then it was over it. Except I ended up, a week to the day, I had this big nosebleed, which I never get. Now, I'm over all that. I treated myself right away with some ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. I'm completely over it. But I never got really sick. But in the process, I transferred it to my husband, who's 50% Native American or 25% Native American. And he got really sick. Um, And it's interesting, by the way, that they're a target of this vaccine program. The native tribes up in Canada, especially. So what's going on here? Well, it turns out that... This is co- – the K26R bloodline comes through the female genetics. It's an X-linked genetic trait. Yeah. And I am the daughter of the daughter of the daughter of the Duke of Westphalia. So I might have it from that genetic well, line.
0: We are in – So morality. see, we can't
1: know for sure, but I'm just saying, yeah. wouldn't it be great – if you're going to mass murder people, wouldn't it be great to protect yourself? Find, out your own. And they scavenged – That's interesting. Yeah, 30 years they've been scavenging DNA. That's what Putin complained about in 2017. Yeah.
0: You know, he said, Where, "Why is the Americans
1: I, over? Why are the Americans testing us for DNA?"
0: Yeah, I've got some um, European, Eastern European Jewish heritage. I'm assuming Ashkenazi uh, heritage. Uh, they came from Ukraine a couple generations ago, and everyone in the family who lives in my household—it's my mother-in-law, wife, and kids—they started feeling ill after we were all exposed to people shedding. I didn't feel right. a thing, but and didn't I, I didn't even it. put any thought into that. No, I did get COVID because I couldn't taste anything. At least I was told it was right. COVID, but there's some other theories out there that maybe it's a it's a toxin that's been put in different places and stuff. Um, I do have to wrap up. I do have to get going. I've got um, and and again, I want to make the disclaimer. Um, Dr. Lee Merritt knows how to use technology. I, I put her in a position, unfortunately, where she oh, is okay. behind a green screen I'm and not green. behind her. Yeah. <laughs> Um, not behind her actual background, and I'll see if I can change it in post production. Um, <laughs> okay. But I could not be more thankful um, than I am to have you on, and I truly appreciate you giving me time. Thanks, thanks.
1: Well, always working. Where, where can everyone out? hear from you? Um, I'm at themedicalrebel.com. And I've got a lot of new information about parasites, which is key about this whole fight also, another yes. lie that they've been told us, and any other information yes. about, you know, taking making making yourself so healthy you don't need a doctor, basically, because you can't trust our medical system anymore, as you know.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me, and, um, and please uh, check out Dr. Meredith if you don't already um, listen to her regularly. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God, let's all make courage more contagious than fear.